Hello and welcome to Never Ending Stories, a podcast about Bob Dylan and the Never Ending Tour. I'm Ian. I'm Evan. And I'm Steve. And today we're thrilled to be joined by second ever guest on Never Ending Stories, following up from Ezra Koenig. Uh, it's Ray Paget, folks. You know Ray. Hey, Ray. Hey, thanks for having me on. Please. Oh, man. Pleasure's all ours. Couldn't imagine welcome. anyone better to be speaking about Bob Dylan and the Rough and Rowdy Ways Tour, uh, which has just wrapped up its complete run in Japan. Uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit more shortly. But before we do, Ray, we do need to cede the stage to you momentarily because we have another, you have, I should say, a new uh, book on its way, Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members. I believe hitting the presses, or actually it has probably hit the presses already, coming out in just about a month. Yeah, we're like, uh, we're in, we're in proximity to the press. Is the book at this point? Is it <laughs> is it like question. right? Is it right next to the press? Is it inside the press? Is it like moving through the press at this? It's point? in like it's in like the adjoining room to the press. Okay, I would say the text uh, is all fully done. The book the book's done, but this one I'm going DIY. I you know my first two books were on you know old school way the publishers. I'm doing this one myself. So the in the old days, I finished the text and then I turn it over and someone else does the rest. But like I was saying before we started taping, I literally was like looking at font options. So that's that's where I'm at now. Um, what, what are you going yeah. with? What, what what kind of fonts are we talking about here? We have a favorite. We're talking, <laughs> I, I, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear input. My goal basically is a font that no one ever notices or thinks about. You know what That's I mean? Not, like, so not not, not Joker Man font. Not Joker what Man font. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not Zap Dingbats either. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that I'm really excited for this book. I pledged my money to pledging my time uh, when it was on. Uh, was it Patreon or like what was the was uh, Indiegogo? Was the platform of choice? Okay, so I committed my money to Indiegogo. And I'm really excited to put this book on my shelf because I have to tell you, Ray, and I'm not blowing smoke. I think you are one of the great modern Dylanologists that we have. Uh, your your Substack is better uh, than essential. that title. It, you're not a Dylanologist. You're you're something that that that. Uh, that is high but, praise. But I but <laughs> I but you know I, I I'm saying Dylanologist with uh, great respect because I want to put your book on my shelf. With the other great Dylanologists, you know, you got Paul Williams up there on my shelf. You got Grail Marcus up there. You have, of course, uh, behind uh, the shades the pr- revisited. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have the Prince of Darkness, who I who I love. I love the Prince of Darkness, but I'm really excited to put pledging my time next to those books. I think it's going to be a very worthy addition to my Dylan library. I think if you are a Dylan fan listening to the show, like look, if you're listening to the show and you don't know ray paget already like what are you doing i mean i'm I'm sure you already know ray paget um but uh, in case you don't definitely get this book he's interviewing um just all of these musicians that are you know that have played with dylan over the years some like many of which were on the never-ending tour some of which are before that of course uh but ray again uh i'm i'm thrilled that you're on this show and i mean that again I look at you as one of the great modern Dylanologists. And there's weird Dylanologists, and then there's like weird but cool Dylanologists, and you're you're in the weird but cool 
<laughs> category. You're not, you're not weird. You're not. He's he's not weird. He's no, he's the only normal one almost. Well, like, we're, all weird, we're, like, like, a, we're, we're all Evan, weird though. We're all weird. Have you ever read my newsletter? <laughs> I think that you're consistent, you're, you're, you're exacting in your dedication to the facts and figures, you get direct sources, there's, a, there's no kind of weird batshit conjecture like about who's like, uh, I, I don't even know, I, I avoid that. There's no like off-putting gatekeeper stuff that you yeah, get from Yeah, like, that's what I mean. I, the weird... I just mean that I admire the, the, the straightforwardness. Yeah, I'm just saying like we're all weird, but there's the weird good and the, and the, and there's the weird bad naturally and, naturally i appreciate ray, your weirdness ray particularly when it takes you in the direction of the gifts of bob doing all of the different guitar motions and faces as you just recently that, did that that's literally just what i thought when evan said you're not weird yeah, i was like, like what a stupid what a stupid thing to spend that my is time accuracy doing. that is that so is fun that is uh that is just detail work that that's fine details that you only get with uh someone dedicated to the craft it's like the the delicate filigrees on a wrought iron gate that's that's you posting gifs of bob doing specific hand and body motions while he plays guitar can i just say quick like okay i would love to have the prince of darkness on our show like if clinton halen would ever come on our show i think that would be amazing Ray, have, <laughs> have you ever interacted with the prince of darkness uh, only casually when i i went to tulsa for the opening of the center last year and he was there and we, we chatted for i don't know five minutes but not in any, oh was he not in any was, substantial way did he like make any subtweets toward you like in that conversation like was he like oh ray is not a ray of sunlight on the uh dylan conversation <laughs> i'm hoping one day i rise to the level to get bashed in a clinton halen intro to a that's, book that's when <laughs> you know that you really made gratuitously it. attacked that that that's that's the ultimate yeah. goal here. <laughs> that's what I'm kind of hoping. My time is such a good title. I just want to say and to, to butt in here. It's I love the title, pledging my time, and just like everything else you do with Dylan projects, I think you're you're great at, at titling them. You're great at doing uh, uh, what what we'd hoped and try to do with our program, which is we we all talked for so long about coming up with the title for this show and. I think I feel like we should have asked you. You would have had a better one, maybe. But uh, here we are on never-ending stories. That's right. Uh, do you want to uh, real quick, Ray, just give folks kind of a rundown of what the book uh, is? You know, contains what we can look forward to. Sure. So the short version is it's a collection of interviews I've done in the last few years with uh, musicians who have played with Bob Dylan. Um, some in the '60s, some you know this century. Um, if you follow my newsletter you've seen some of them but i'd say maybe 60 percent are new or new for the book um yeah i mean it's sort of in-depth q a's with all these people who have in many cases either never talked about their time with dylan or you know not said much about it beyond a platitude in an interview and i go like super deep and super wonky and super super nerdy and so if you listen to this show it's your sort of book if you don't listen to this show it's Probably not. <laughs> if you don't listen to the show, you're not hearing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. and, and I have to say, like, you know, I assume that the Larry Campbell and Rob Stoner interviews will be in there. Like, those two interviews in particular, I think, would be worth the price of admission alone. Like, those are just so... Like, those two are so great. And is Stan Lynch in there? Did you put the Stan Lynch interview in there? Stan Lynch is definitely... All three of them are in there, yeah. Okay, so those three alone... 
Trust me, if you haven't read them already, and don't read them, just buy the book. Those three in particular are amazing interviews, worth the price of admission by themselves, and there's going to be a multitude of interviews in addition to those, uh, so it'll be great. Yeah, I'm looking at the list yeah. right now. It's all the heavy hitters. You got Ronnie Blakely, you got uh, uh, Alan Pasqua, you got Scarlett Rivera, you got Ben Montench, Winston Watson, friend of the program, Larry Ratso Sloman, and this is one that I didn't realize. This is a this is a real coup for you. Michael Portnoy, better known as the Soy Bomb guy. I can't believe you Whoa. talked to the Soy Bomb guy. I, I got I got Soy Bomb. That's right. <laughs> he was actually one of the first people I interviewed, like for the for specifically the book. When I conceived of it, I was like, he might, I might save him for the book. So I've been sitting on that for two years. Hell okay, yeah. That, that is weird of you. That's actually genuinely a weird choice. <laughs> I'll give you that one. I'm, I think I can't wait to wait. hear. Yeah, well, I'm fascinated to hear what that. Uh, is going to be like at all? I think there's so many unanswered questions involving soy bomb. It is all I will say my... is that he is as odd and eccentric off stage as he is on stage. You don't say. Never, <laughs> never would have guessed. We're gonna have we're gonna have Ray back. I'm sure multiple times, but we're gonna have him back at least one more time because he recommended a show that we talk about here. That is a great suggestion, and I definitely want to do it at some point. So we're going to do that, but I'm sure we'll have Ray on again because he's a wealth of knowledge. But we wanted to have him on this episode because we're doing a uh, an overview of the uh, Bob in Japan 2023 tour, which I think we can all agree was a really exciting campaign oh, yeah. to follow. Yes. And it, it is one of the great benefits of the internet that we can uh, follow a tour like this and have bootlegs become available with relative quickness. Fantastic you know? quality bootlegs available with relative quickness, quickness Which, it should be said. Yeah, and they, and they amazingly got better as the tour progressed. Like, I feel like, you know, and we'll talk about this as we kind of dive into our favorite performances and shows, like the last, like, three recordings i think that we got from this tour are like the best sounding uh shows which kind of tilts maybe how we're gonna feel about it um but uh i'm just curious before we get into the particulars of uh you know japan 2023 you know we talked about this a little bit in our previous episode where we talked about this tour about just bob in japan in general and his history in japan Obviously, going back to 1978, the uh, you know Live at Budokan, how you know that was like the big representative representative album of that tour. Uh, but it seems like Bob has a very fruitful history in Japan, and uh, we've talked about that about this on our show. But Ray, we're I think we're all curious. Like, what are your thoughts on just Bob in Japan in general? It seems like this is a country where Bob feels emboldened to let his hair down, so to speak. You know, he's done a lot of interesting things when he's toured in this country. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
I think that's true. I mean, it's funny. He didn't get to Japan as early as he could have. You know, a lot of times, not this time, but a lot of times he combines Japan tours with like Australia. But he did a bunch of Australia dates in 66, didn't get over to Japan for another 12 years. But pr pretty much since then, you know, he's gotten over every, I don't know, three, four, five years. I know you guys talked about the Hux tune one. So that's an example. <laughs> he's often busting out, busting out surprise stuff. He That was one of the, some of the first shows with... Uh, the Heartbreakers, the Pompeii and the Heartbreakers were in Japan, mm -hmm, and they were, mm -hmm. you know, still sort of finding their groove and figuring stuff out. He did that amazing, not full show, but those those in uh, 94, those was a great music experience with the enormous orchestra. With the orchestra, that's right. At the Naga or somewhere, and, you know, with Joni Mitchell and everyone. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely, he played Hiroshima and, and revived Masters of War for the first time in years. Wow. So in the 90s sometime. Yeah, so he definitely... Has a has a connection there, and this is the first time he's been in, I don't know, five years or something like that. Yeah, so I mean, you just mentioned a bunch of highlights that he's had over the years, and I mean, just getting ready to record tonight, I was listening to uh, some of his like February '94 stuff that he was doing, and uh, which was really interesting to listen to in light of, as you said, we just did a a, a show from 2014 where he was busting out like a lot of obscure tracks and different arrangements and then comparing that to what he was doing in uh you know this year do you have any favorites in particular uh with him uh in Japan over the years there is this when i was you know when he announced this tour i was going through some old japan stuff and i found this great compilation of his 2010 tour where he played a ton of shows 2010 hmm. is like sort of the end of the era when he's still mixing up the set lists every night. You know, the static set list is only a couple years away. So he's just playing wild songs left and right. Someone compiled all of them. He's got that circus organ setting on. So, I mean, some of them just sound like dog shit, but some of them are amazing. <laughs> it's all over the place. Um, so I, I, I recommend people track that down. It's called Made in Japan 2010. <laughs> I mean, it seems like when he plays Japan, he always plays in like February, March, April, like in the early part of the year. Is that just like a routing issue? Like, do we know why he often begins the year in Japan? Does he like Japan in that time of the year? I, I don't know if anyone's ever explored that. I mean, because it doesn't necessarily seem like from a routing perspective, it makes more sense to be there than anywhere else i guess other than the fact that if you're going to be playing in europe and america in the bulk of the year maybe you want to play in japan early on i mean i don't because it seems like when he plays japan it's always at the beginning of a year yeah he was supposed to tour there in spring of 2020 that was the first of his right, those co covid runs to get shut down was mm -hmm. a japan tour around the same time yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. The only guess I have does not apply to this year. But again, he often does combine it with Australia, which, of course, is this is summer in Australia. So that could have something to do with it. But in a tour like this where he's not going to Australia, you know, Japan's northern hemisphere. So I'm not sure. Cherry blossoms. We, we've been over this. He just adores blossoms. That, well, but yeah. 
he's been he's been earlier uh, in the year, like the the February one you were talking about, Stephen. That was that was February '94, and that was the same run that we did that Sendai show on from uh, from last year on on the other show, uh, which is just you know that that '94 run I think is is fire. Um, I I, I kind of think that it he he seems to use it as sort of like a tune up opportunity, right? Because he he typically like if you look at the cadence, it's usually like Japan. Australia, if it's going to be there early, you know, kind of late, late winter, early spring. And um, then he does a lot of the European dates through the summer, typically. Um, and then in the fall, he's usually, you know, in the States. Um, and obviously over the last couple of years on this tour, on the Rough and Rowdy tour, he's been messing messing with that a little bit. But over over time, over the years, that has been kind of the, the cadence for the most part. And so using, I think, Japan as this way to, like, figure out what this instance of the tour is going to look like. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, identify what works, what doesn't work and what, you know, kind of he needs to work at to make it work over the course of the year. That seems to be sort of the strategy. Cause I really think that he, uh, he, a vibes and connects with the audience in Japan on a really great level. And we'll actually see that in some of the shows that we talk about tonight. Um, uh, when he feels more, you know, at home and, and warm towards the audience than he does in countries in which he ostensibly speaks the same language as most of the people that are watching him. Um, so there's that element. And then at the same time, I think he really does use, uh, or has used, you know, like fall U S tours, you know, especially when he does like those beacon runs, right? Like in late November, early December, those really feel like kind of like, this is the apotheosis of everything the tour is about for this year. And so he wants to, you know, kind of get into fighting shape, um, by that point in the year. Yeah. I mean, like this tour, uh, Japan 2023, it did make me think about, uh, the early part of the 78 tour, which I guess it's like the 45th anniversary. If we want to talk about that, I mean, where, Budokan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Budokan era where, um, and I think we're all on the same page of like loving that album, right? Like, like, oh, yeah. like Ray, are you on of board course. with that record, Ray? Yeah. That was one of my first Dylan records, man. To me, okay. those are the canonical arrangements. That's right. Yeah, the reggae <laughs> right, versions so and the disco versions. So that's just how they sound. I'm so like, wait, all... some Bob Dylan songs don't have flute solos? <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Exactly. So, 